Hey guys, exciting news. The PassiveHang.com is live. On the website, we'll be featuring all these conversations, videos, informational guides, and links to further resources so that you can get entrenched deeper into this movement world and further your practice. Check it out now, thepassivehang.com. Thanks everyone for joining back onto today's episode of The Passive Hang. I'm really excited about this one because it's our first follow-up episode. So I recently had Thomas Emerson on to chat a month or so ago, I think, um, who is the founder of Praxis in Canberra. And yeah, we had a really good chat and connected and we continued the conversation over email. And Thomas raised the possibility that some of the questions that we were discussing would be best discussed on this platform. So that's the intention today. It's a bit, probably a bit more of a different format to what we had before, which is more covering origin story and just um, a general thoughts on movement practice. But we're, we're kind of targeting a bit more specific questions uh, today. So yeah, I guess everyone make uh, Thomas welcome once again. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me back. And for people who are listening who haven't listened to the first one, it might be a good idea to do that first. Um, so you get some context for this conversation, but I'm sure this will stand alone just fine as well. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Um, so um, I guess diving straight into it. Um, so to, to give you a bit, bit of context uh, with, with my journey, I guess uh, I'm, I've been a practitioner well, with a movement perspective for quite a few years now, but still quite early in the, uh, in the coaching stage. And since we last talked, you know, I've been really excited to start um, coaching uh, a couple of people um, within, I guess, this uh, new perspective that I've been learning. And I guess the challenge for a lot of us as we get uh, more deeper into our practices and sometimes, you know, quite esoteric i guess to more common standards um is bringing that back to that center to that person to to decide okay well what's going to be actually useful for this person as well and how do i communicate that to to the person and i think one of the challenges with moon practice is you know it's the scope it's, it's so wide it can be anything and everything right so i guess the the first question that i wanted to start off with um and post to you, Thomas, was with that scope of being so so wide, you know, you can choose everything, but you have this limitation of time, right? But on this other, I guess, uh, side of the spectrum, we know that consistency is key for someone to improve and to really learn. You get better at just repeating things, right? Like That's like a, a natural thing that our organism likes to do. So how do we balance this this thing of consistency, but then also potentially this injection of variety, which we know is also important for movement practice. It's, it might be the fundamental question. <laughs> um, for, for us teachers, it's, it's very hard to determine and there's no easy solution, I don't think, to that problem. Um, the, way I, the way I approach things, and I think many people in, in our community who are working a similar way approach things is, is through projects, introducing projects. Um, and working on those projects to a level where you don't completely suck at the thing that you're working on anymore. And then moving on to a new, onto a new project, knowing where that line is, is very, that line is, is very difficult, right? Because it depends on who you're comparing yourself with. So 
I've been doing hand balancing work for the past five years. So compared to someone on the street, I'm a hand balancer, but compared to a hand balancer, I'm a movement practitioner, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, so I have to figure out for myself and, and that's an area where I guess I've gone to a degree of specialization, which I think is also useful and a useful thing to do in at least one domain. Um, but I have to figure out for myself, okay, where do I draw the line? Am I interested in this still for its own sake? Am I developing from this or am I just getting better only at handstands? Right. And, and, and knowing which of those things is happening is very difficult. Sometimes you might, you might need to fast on the handstand for a little while to see, <laughs> right. Um, which we do with food to clarify our cravings with food. Okay. I won't eat for a couple of days and then I'll come back to food and see what that's like. Uh, let the go cold Turkey on, on food. Maybe you do that on handstands and see what, what effect it has. Um, so it is difficult to know, okay, where, where's the line of specialization? And also on the flip side, where is the line of overgeneralization where you're like a child who's just going from thing to thing with no attention span and just, oh, this is, I'm doing this because it's fun and then I'll do something else because it's fun and actually not finding any depth in, in, any of those, in any of those practices. So I think a good, a good approach to take is to try to find yourself in the position of being a beginner as often as possible and getting to early intermediate stage in, in whatever the, whatever the domain is. Um, an example would be, I took up Brazilian Jiu Jitsu for, for about a year. I was not doing gradings cause I was only doing no gi. And so I, I didn't do any gradings um, in terms of progressing from a white belt to blue belt and so on. But I got to the point where if someone hasn't done Jiu Jitsu, then they'll be in trouble if we end up grappling, but still probably, you know, 80% of the, of the guys in the gym, maybe it depends on the class. So let's say, let's say 75% of the guys in the gym could still have their way with me. The guys who were doing it as their sole focus. Um, so I felt like I had squeezed all of those beginner gains out of that activity. I'd still like to do more of it. And of course there's always more depth than everything. Um, but I stopped partly COVID stopped me as well. <laughs> um, and, and went into, went into different projects. So if you can be a little fish in a big pond as a practitioner, then you're poised for maximal growth, even though oftentimes that means minimal, uh, social standing in that, in that pond, right? Cause there's something that's, it's nice to be a big fish in a little pond. It makes us feel good about ourselves and being a little fish in a big pond where you're the beginner, you're the rookie, you're the novice doesn't feel as good in the moment, but it forces you to grow. Um, so balancing those two things is always challenging as well. Do we always want to be forcing ourselves to grow and be out of our depth constantly and paddling and paddling and paddling and try to stay afloat? Probably the answer is no, or maybe it changes with, with the seasons and with the seasons of our life as well, right? Like in youth, probably we should be trying to just push ourselves as much as we can to, 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 to develop, to grow. Um, yeah. So, so that's, that's on the practitioner side of things, right? But then on the, on the teaching side of things, that's a, that's a whole other story where there can be this desire as a teacher to constantly introduce new material um, because of how it makes you feel as the teacher. Mm. You, you're in that privileged position of like, hey, hey, look look how much I know about this thing. Um, I know something you don't know, right? <laughs> um, 
and, and here it is and you can learn about it and that gives you a little ego boost as the teacher providing the variety. But I think the best teachers actually pull themselves back, rein themselves back in a little bit and try to find out what, what it is that the student wants, what it is that the student needs more importantly now, rather than just showing off what they, what they, what they know. Um, and we did speak a little bit about this last time. Where do we start, right? It, where do we start with someone with someone who's new to the practice? And I, I suggested taking an interest of theirs because there's some, excuse me, some something that interested them that brought them to you, and holding on to grabbing a hold of that in the beginning and saying, okay, let's investigate this, and doing what we can in the early stages just to give that person a an experience of transformation. Mm. Um, but sometimes you get someone who comes and they just want to learn what you have to teach them. And then, and then things get, get much trickier because now you have to decide <laughs> for them exactly what, exactly what you're going to do, um, which is a whole nother topic that perhaps we can get into as well. Mm. This concept of um, projects, maybe, you know, starting off with, with that one. So do you define everything as, as projects or is there like a, a core work? So, you know, even drawing back to your experience, you said you got into jujitsu, but I, I'm sure you're doing other things as, as well alongside the jujitsu practice, but jujitsu was like a project. So do you have this delineation between project work and, and I don't know what you call it, but something else? Hmm. Yeah. I would say oftentimes what I would do is go into a project go into some sort of practice quite intensely where I'm doing it a lot, lots of, lots of volume, lots of frequency for a period of time and then put it on the back burner, develop that skill to the point where it's like riding a bike, right? Where, you know, when I go back to riding a bike, it's just like riding a bike, isn't it? <laughs> um, you're, not wor- you're not worried about losing that skill. But maybe if you haven't ridden a bike for five years, 10 years, you, the first time you get on a bike after that sort of a break, you go like, well, I'm not sure if I'm still able to do this. And you surprise yourself and, and you can. Um, but if you don't get the depth of or the, if you don't get that volume in in the beginning, then that might not be the case. If you just tried something for a little while and then left it and came back to it, you might find yourself right at the, right at the beginning again. Mm. Um, so I don't know that there's a clear delineation between projects and ongoing work oftentimes it's you go into a project intensely and then you put that into maintenance mode where maintenance mode might mean you need to do the thing that you're doing five times a week now you're just doing it one time a week or maybe you're doing it once a month or maybe you just check in with it uh when you're teaching from time to time you know let's let's revisit that material that we worked on a couple of years ago or i worked on on my own a couple of years ago and that's something that that's a kind of trick i've started using to make make good use of time as well as to teach those things and use that as a way to check back in with my own practice. Right. This, I think this is a good sign of, of a community of a movement community is when the teachers practice merges a little more with the, with the practice of their students. Uh, but there are things that you might describe as more ongoing maintenance, like requisite practices that, that should be there. So for me, that's the spinal movement material falls into that category that's something that I'm constantly doing every day. I'm moving my spine in Mm -hmm. some way and moving it, not just through my other practices, but moving the spine on its own, focusing on this as a spinal practice. Mm -hmm. And that might mean, might mean five minutes. 
uh, I, I think about the meditation practices, mindfulness, stillness practices in the same way. That's something that needs to be done mm. um, just constantly as a little, as a little check-in in, in my view. And again, I haven't been on retreat, but maybe someone goes on a 10 day retreat and that's like a really intense uh, meditation experience an intense project, intensive project. And then they return with some of those tools and just checking in, you know, once a day or twice a day for shorter periods of time is enough to uh, sustain the benefits that they've, that the, that were garnered by investing in that project to begin with. Yeah. Because I was wondering about this concept of like general preparedness and, you know, if we just take uh, at the start, you know, a lot of people just working on strength and mobility, right. To these, these attributes. And then you can probably see, or make, make a, a line saying that these are quite different to say, if you like jujitsu or if you wanted to learn skateboarding, that like that's more like a, a skill skill sort of thing. Right. Um, but I like what you mentioned there with how maybe it's self-determined with this, uh, uh, with these, um, other things where you have this constancy of practice where whether it be a, a spinal movement practice or something for your hips or something like that because from your experience for that you know that that is quite important for you and that you need to keep on checking in you know whether it be meditation or any of these things uh maybe at the start you know it, it has to be strength and mobility because those are what you're uh, it's kind of holding you back to these other skills. And then as you get better, then you can sort of downscale them. Right. Yeah. And there are, there are a few thoughts there connected to what you've just said. One being, I think, I think one of the reasons p people tend to start with strength and mobility. There are a couple of reasons. It's very obvious if you've improved in strength or mobility, it's demonstrable, right? Mm -hmm. You can show I used not to be able to do a chin up and now I can. Uh, I didn't used to be able to get my chest flat on the floor in a pancake and a seated straddle on the floor. And now I can, okay. That's, that's an obvious improvement. Uh, and often how we have to begin things when we're cultivating awareness is at the grosser levels of awareness, right? So the legs are far apart and you're going into full hip flexion and seeing what that's seeing what that's like. And there's a big sensation. There's a strong sensation. Um, like many people like really firm massages for that same reason. It's a strong sensation, a lot of stimulus. Mm. Uh, and then maybe with time you start refining the practice. So smaller and smaller movements allow you to cultivate more and more subtle awareness, more and more refined awareness. Um, like if I need to, if the room's a complete mess and there's dirt everywhere and, and everything's just scattered around, do I go in and try to fix up how the rug is arranged so that it's perfectly square with the room? It's like, no, that's a bit too subtle <laughs> to begin with. You'd be, you, this guy's a psychopath if he's doing that. Like, <laughs> no, you have to start by getting the mud off the floors perhaps, you know, or like there's broken furniture in the room. Maybe address that before you worry about how the, um, how the books are aligned on the shelves. <laughs> mm. So I think that's what, I think that is why people start oftentimes with the strength and mobility along with the, the ego likes that stuff. If, if I'm a more mindful person, you can't tell immediately, like ask a meditation guru to show you their skills, right? <laughs> it's like they're there. I'm not denying that there's skill. There's incredible skill there. And they're having a completely different subjective experience perhaps, but the outward expression of that is not so obvious. 
Um, so us as teachers, we can be aware of that and harness that too. And I actually did this consciously to some degree, um, which is almost like an admission. I, I said to myself, I need to develop skills that are clearly impressive as a sort of qualification. <laughs> like if I can do a one-arm handstand and someone comes to handstand class, they will listen to me. <laughs> That's the truth. That's the truth. There yeah. won't be, oh, how did you learn hands? No one's ever really asked me how I learned. Who'd you learn from? How did you learn these skills? Like, mm. do you have a qualified, did you ever get certified for teaching handstands? Those questions don't come up. You just show the skill and then, okay, yep, we'll do that. And of course, if you're, um, if you're aware of what it's like to be around someone who's cultivated perhaps a higher level of awareness, you can see that in them. And, oh, I see this person doesn't react. Something terrible just happened around them and they were calm and someone's treating them really poorly and they're not, re not reactive. You can see that. Mm. But it's harder to see unless you've already had that experience yourself, which mm. again is something we spoke about last time. Um, whereas a clearly impressive skill, a clearly imp impressive demonstration, excuse me, of strength or mobility, you don't need to be strong or mobile to know that that's impressive. Mm. I guess right. it... It's like that, uh, it's that challenge of communication then, right? Like you don't even have to say anything. You can just pop up on one arm and no one's going to question you from that, that moment, right? Like the implied uh, communication there is that, you know, well, I can do this handstand so I can help you get what you may want from, from this handstand as well, right? Because you've just done, right. done the thing. So yeah, I guess there's nothing ever like as strong as that. But I liked how you said that, you know, sometimes you can Well, we, we do need to, sorry to interrupt, but I'll yeah. let you get back to your point, but we do need to talk the talk as well as walk the walk because, mm -hmm. of course, there are athletes who can perform skills and have no, no way of teaching them, have no idea how to teach them. Often yeah. people who learn skills very young won't be able to teach it. It's just in their body. Mm -hmm. But anyway, feel free to get back to your point. Yeah, I, I, I do recognize that um, one as well, right? Because there's, uh, you know, the practitioner practitioner is a separate skill to being the, the teacher as well, right? I need to cultivate that and um, put experience into that. Um, but I'm trying to remember my, <laughs> my, my, Should not my have point out. <laughs> I, I liked how you were starting to say that like, we can't start at the subtleties and that like you starting at the more broader or gross way is the better way of approaching and getting people's attention, getting them to buy into remember what you're saying, trust the process, right? Um, because if you were starting at the subtleties, it might just fly over their head, right? Like um, they might not be ready for it. And then I guess the, the, an outcome could be like, they just drop the practice or, or walk away and, and decide not to do it. Yeah, and my experience at least has been that I've gotten better at determining relatively quickly what will land with someone after mm. meeting them, after having them come in, depending on the terminology they're, they're using. And we ask when someone comes to class, how did, you, how did you hear about us? What have you done before? Why did you come here? What are you here for? And then you know <laughs> already you have a sense. And sometimes people come and they're, they're going to be engaged with the subtle the subtleties immediately and so you can share them immediately um, and others it'll take it'll take time and it might be that you just float the idea out there hey maybe pay attention to next time you're feeling stressed see if you can feel your heartbeat mm. just put that out. and maybe they do it and maybe they don't um, and just give these little suggestions like nudges 
um, in the direction that you think might take them towards a higher level of awareness of their bodies. Uh, and that can, and that can work or it can't, but it's not, uh, if, if it, if it doesn't work, it's not necessarily your fault or it's not necessarily their fault. We're all at different points mm-hmm. in the process, right? We're all at different places. And, and that's the skill of that we have to develop as the teacher is to determine what will be the message that gets that person from step A to step B and then yeah. later to, to C and then later to, to D. So, I guess going further on to this like teaching perspective as well, like bringing back to the original question of this consistency versus variety. Um, yeah. Like how do you determine when you're going to change it up again? You know, last time we spoke, you were talking about how you were working on elasticity with the group, you know? So is there a certain point where you're like looking at the group and you're like, okay, we can move on or because some of these projects, right? Like uh, jujitsu or whatever, sometimes they, they're like years. Right. And probably some of the people that you're working with don't want to be working on elasticity for like years. So yeah. What, what sort of markers or what are you looking for before you go, okay, like maybe we can develop the material or move on from that material to something else. Yeah. That's a, it's a really good point because we're moving on from the elasticity material next week. So <laughs> that has happened since, you know, between the time that we last spoke and between now, I think there are a couple of things there as the teacher when you're in your role as practitioner, I think you need to be willing to, you need to be the kind of person who's willing to go further into the projects than say 90% of the students will be. Um, there's this dictum that you should know 10 times as much as what you're about to say about something, right? So if I have 10 minutes worth of a response to this question, I need, to, I need 10 minutes worth of a response to this question to give you a good minute, right? Uh, and, and teaching can be like that. There needs to be that depth there in, in your own practice of have, having taken things further. Uh, what I've been using as the guide for myself, especially in the move from practice classes, we laid out that distinction a little bit last time between the classes that are a bit more ongoing in terms of projects and individuals progressing, say, say their strength work, where that could be a two-year project to get from where you've done no strength training to where you're near your... Um, nearer to your your full potential in terms of strength mm-hmm. same thing with mobility for instance in the movement practice classes i've been orienting more towards that feeling of having full meaningful engagement in the practice and in the teaching myself and because teaching is a dynamic process where it's very hard for me to be fully engaged say in this conversation if you're clearly not interested um that's why that's why you have guests, right? So we can go back and forth. But if you're engaged, it's easier for me to be, oh, I'm fully in this conversation. I'm fully engaged. And that's a sensitivity and awareness or it's like an intuitive feel that you get from the, from the group where oh, what I'm saying is not landing or what I'm teaching here is not landing or their bodies are uh, kind of tired of this material. People have got it to some degree. The mm-hmm. beginner gains have worn off like we spoke about before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's time to move on. And, and the other indicator can be injury. Um, we've had, cause we've been doing a heap of bouncing in the, in the classes. We've had a couple of people with, um, feet, feet, foot problems and they didn't start straight away. Like they've developed as a consequence of having done a lot of different bouncing, um, a lot of bouncing work in the different classes. So said, so, okay, maybe that's an indicator that we've gone a little mm. too far and you can use the same, uh, indicator on your own body. I've done this happens with CrossFitters actually. Hmm. CrossFit feels great for two years. 
you feel like the king of the world for two years. Um, but so many CrossFitters get burnt out and they're so deep into that process of getting burnt out before they realize it's happening to them because they're hooked on that first two years. They remember the feeling from the first two years. It's like chasing the dragon almost. Mm. Like same thing happens with people who change diets. You have this honeymoon period when you change where you feel amazing and it doesn't matter. You could change from a vegan diet to a completely carnivorous diet or go the other way. You're going to have like, wow, I feel so different. Um, but then, and this happened with me actually with veganism, I was vegan for a while and then I, I had convinced myself that veganism was good for me. And then I had some meat and I was like, Oh, oh my God, like my body needed that so badly. Hmm. Um, but I was still hooked to that feeling in the beginning of feeling lighter and more energetic. And actually that had dissipated. And then I went to the same extreme with me Okay, now I'm eating heaps and heaps of meat and I backed off the meat eating and that, and that had an improvement. Um, so knowing when to change from one project to a next is, is a difficult thing. I don't know if I can give a good, clear answer, mm. but I think f- I, I like using the guide of meaningful engagement. Do I feel in it, in the practice? Am I fully in it or is there part of me that's waiting for the class to finish and looking for, you can tell if that's happening. I mean, obviously you could tell in yourself. But you can also tell if the people around you are doing that, if that's if they're like, yeah, yeah, excited about it. And in the last couple of weeks in the elasticity work, that's dropped off a little bit. Mm. We, okay, we're a little bit tired of it um, is the sense I'm getting. But they won't say that, of course. People we work with are too friendly to say that sort of thing. <laughs> you can sit in their bodies and on their faces when they're not. Yeah. You know, it's like the, like the father playing, playing basketball with his son, but he actually doesn't want to and he's just you know, just there because he knows he should be. Hmm. Um, we want to minimize the amount that that's, that that's happening in, yeah. in our studio because it's something that people are doing outside of their things that they're there to do because they have to hmm. work oftentimes, right? I like that. So there's this jump in to reach this, like, I guess, sufficient level of depth, but then you have to be aware almost on this energetic resonance with um, yourself and then with the group around you to then read going like, okay, well, you know, is there just diminishing returns after a certain point, you know, these people, yeah, maybe their attributes may keep on increasing as well, but overall in the larger picture as well, are you going to be sort of losing them as well? Because they kind of, they want something else or they want to do something else or they're not as engaged with the material um, as, as before. Uh, I, I like that answer. And, and uh, yeah, that does, that does make sense. And I think it makes even more sense, especially when you're guiding a group, right? Um, not just one person mm-hmm. or just yourself, but uh, the group, you have to always be thinking about this uh, energy and direction of the group. And, and, and there is the flip side of that is if you, there are so many things that could be happening. If people aren't engaged, it could be that you're not being very engaging as the teacher you're not you're not engaging them right the material might be fantastic material uh or they're just new to it and they're skeptical which is how we how many of us go into many new things right okay i already know plenty i already know enough uh because of that energy investment of learning something new that when you accept that something that someone else knows something that would be useful for you to know then that costs you time that costs you energy so we're very good at convincing ourselves that we already know them enough. Um, so that can be happening where someone's just reluctant to engage with the material because it's going to cost them energy and, and because they're going to have to put themselves in that seat of being the complete beginner 
right? Which, like I said earlier, is the seat of maximal growth and oftentimes minimal moment to moment enjoyment. (laughs) (laughs) Although it, although it depends, like you can cultivate that, the habit of being in that, of adopting that mindset and being in that seat of the beginner, um, Shoshin, right? Beginner mind, beginner's mind. Uh, and, and it becomes enjoyable because you know it's going to work <laughs> in part. You know that you won't be in that same place forever. Um, there's this like offsetting the present moment for the sake of the future. That's what work is, of course. Mm. Um, so, so knowing what's going on there and sometimes persisting. No, no, I do think this thing will be good for you. I do think you'll benefit from it. And if you can encourage and cultivate a culture in your group, and when I say a culture, that could be in your group of three, four people, right? When we're beginning as, as teachers or as practitioners who want to share some of the, the material with, with other people. If you can cultivate a, a culture of where people assume that there's something there, there's almost always something there if you assume there's something there, right? Mm-hmm. So if they can be coming into it, assuming there's something there, and if they trust you and you've gone into whatever you're sharing with them to a greater degree than you're going to ask them to, then they will, they're more likely to trust you that, mm. you know, there's something there cause you've gone into it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course you can, you can lead a horse to water, right? You can't make a yeah. drink. So it's at some point you, you got to stop selling. I had a sales phone call earlier. Someone called me um, trying to get me onto a different gym management software and, they just wouldn't take no for an answer, right? And that can happen where it's like, this is not the person that, you're, that you want to be teaching. They're not interested. Mm. So you let them go. But, but, but you can tell, actually, I have something to help that will help this person. I just need to figure out how to communicate it. That's, and that's hard. Mm. That's the challenge. So that last point there, bring, um, this brings to, I guess, an interesting question, which um, someone actually wanted me to, to pose to you, Thomas, which was like, how do you define like who this praxis student is? Like, you know, like you mentioned that's person you don't, you'd probably want to drop them or you, you wouldn't want to teach them. So yeah. Do you have this like quality or picture of these, this, this student that you accept or reject? I would say that what I'm looking for, what I'm hoping will come through the door is someone who has that beginner's mindset who's, who really genuinely wants to learn. If someone comes in, they're really there to learn and not to prove how much they already know or if they're really there and engaging in a genuine way, it doesn't matter what their background is. It doesn't matter how old they are. It doesn't matter what their current abilities are that's the person you want to work with. Mm. And you can feel when this is maybe this example will land with some people, you know, when you get a coffee, you go to a coffee shop and maybe it's your local, local coffee shop and they know you, right. And they ask you how you're going and they actually want to know they're actually friendly that you're talking in that moment with the person, not with the barista, Mm. right. Not with the, with the waiter, whatever you're actually talking with the person and then at a different coffee shop where you're brand new, and it depends on the person, of course, but more often than not, they'll say the same words, how are you going? But you could tell that they don't actually care how you're going. You're not interacting with the person in that moment. You're interacting with the person who's selling, with the entity that's selling you coffee. And you get a sense pretty quickly when you talk with people of whether you're interacting with them or with, 
or they're somewhere else and there's an interaction happening, happening like their awareness actually isn't there or they're projecting some mask. They're projecting something that they want you to, that they think will please you perhaps or, or their identity, right? They're projecting their identity out and they're not actually being themselves. There's something in between you and them. Uh, if, if I feel like there's, that's there, what I, I still encourage, what I'm trying to do is help that, that person. If I feel like there is that barrier, trying to bring it down, right? And just the way I try to do that is just being genuine myself and just being honest with them and also connecting with those vulnerabilities. Oftentimes that the barrier comes up as a consequence of vulnerability. Hmm. They're, they're new in the practice. And so they come in and they're like, I want to make a good impression. And so, hey, oh yeah. And I saw you and they're really bubbly and like excited. And it's like, well, even this, either this person's very extroverted, which is okay, but more often than not, actually they like came in and they were afraid about coming in for the first time and they wanted to make a good impression. And the way they're doing that is by being like this really exciting, fun person. And if that happens, I just try to kind of reassure them a little bit and bring the energy down and like, hey, we're here. Like, I know that it's, I'll say something like, I know that it's scary coming into a new community for the first time. And I acknowledge the experience they're having hmm. and try to bring, by doing that, by putting your awareness on that, their awareness might come onto it as well because maybe they didn't realize they didn't plan to come in and be like all frantic <laughs> um but you just bring some awareness to that and then they go oh yeah i am being a little bit different than myself because i'm afraid about going into a new thing mm. um my experience at, at praxis has been that with time the people who are willing to just be themselves and be open and listen and who really want to learn those people tend to stay around um and the people, often they're people who started in a, in a different mode. They were engaging in a different way when they began. But with time, they learn like, oh, I can actually relax here. Like that feeling you get when you get home, right? You go, oh, I don't need to, I don't need to fake it anymore. I, I'm, on, I'm on my own now. Or maybe you have it with your partner. Oh, we can just be ourselves together. How nice is that? I don't need to pretend. Um, that's what we have at the, at the studio. And so people who aren't that way will have that feeling like, uh, like you do when you're third wheeling. This is like, the, <laughs> there are two people here who, if I left them alone, they could be fully themselves and what a relief that would be. Um, but you as the third wheel, you're making it impossible for them and you start feeling uncomfortable. Um, yeah. So there's not a, there's not a perfect student in, in any, in any physical sense. It's mm. the mindset that they're adopting. It's the mm. way that the, it's the, it's the mode that they're, that they're in when they come in to the studio. Uh, and that's like, it seems intangible when I talk about it, but it's like the most tangible thing when you actually feel it in someone like, Oh my God, you're there. You're right there. Mm. Like in this conversation right now, you're not, you're there. Like I can tell that you're there. Uh, and that's really great. <laughs> um, you're not, I'm not thinking about, Oh, but I've got this on afterwards and I'll, how am I being perceived or, or How's the, like, do I look good on the video? You know, it's just, you're just there. Mm. Yeah. That's more just a, a felt sense. I think uh, uh, that we, when we, when we communicate with people that, that I think everyone has felt as well. And I think it's amazing that you've seen like in your own eyes, this transformation, but from students, from, yeah, that initial phase walking in, acting in a certain way to that feeling. I really liked how you described it of just this feeling of being relaxed, comfortable as if like a home away from home. Right. Like I don't, 
I don't think many people would describe their gym as like a, a home away from home. That's probably <laughs> not what a lot of people do, but um, you know, it's really nice to, I guess that's the essence of, you know, if you've actually um, intended to create this community space, you know, I always remember when I used to live closer to the city that I used to walk past this. Um, uh, it was just like, it looked like this empty sort of, sort of shop, but, every time I would walk past there late at night, there would be about like eight to 10 really old. Um, I think they were Greek um, guys all sitting in there. They were playing cards, making coffee, having a few drinks, that sort of thing. And that was like the spot. And I could tell that they were really mm. themselves all the time. Every time they reconnected with that spot. Uh, mm. that, but then it was just like this room, right? This, this plain empty room. And every time you walk past it during the day, it just, just completely empty and so mm. yeah um hmm. i think, think that, that, yeah. that's probably this they they were probably experiencing seeing the same feeling that you're talking about yeah yeah this is the place we come to tell the truth because <laughs> <laughs> that's the other way of thinking about it when you're being fully yourself you're being fully honest mm. uh, and you can tell when when someone's not exposing themselves that they're, they're kind of hiding away a little bit mm. um and it's a, it's a, again, it's a vulnerability thing. It's a fragility thing. Like, but I decided a long time ago not to do that and just to be, I'll just be how I am. And you're trying to figure out how you are. That's part of the process. So it's easier said than done. I'll just be, I'll just be myself. It's okay. Explain yourself, right? Like ex explain what you're like to me. Mm. Um, that's, that's a lifelong process, figuring out what that is, what it is at the core of you that you're trying to be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and maybe we could talk a little bit about that later as well. Like, what is it to try to be human, a better human? Because for me, what, that's what the practice is about. Um, but I, one way you can cultivate that is just to be, if you want to reassure the people around you and allow them to be honest and themselves, you just be honest with them. And we, we do that as well. Like if someone's bullshitting you about, Oh, I can't do this because this, and I'm just like, Hey, don't worry about that stuff. You have to be honest with them as the teacher, like don't let them bullshit. Um, and don't sugarcoat things too much, but also to be harsh with, with the truth. Mm. Cause you can make a point of like, Oh, I'm so honest. I'm brutally honest. And I'm going to say something mean. I'm going to say something honest just because I know it'll hurt you. That's not the point. But sometimes like we say, honesty trumps niceness. Sometimes honesty has to come out on top in that interaction. And if you're being just nice and gentle and like, okay, I'm not going to disrupt the status quo ever, then over time that, that accumulates. And actually there's a moment where you have to be really honest and it's really, really hurtful. Where if you've just been like a little bit honest the whole way along, a little bit course correcting the whole time, mm -hmm. then that sudden horrific, traumatic experience doesn't need to happen mm. normally when when a relationship ends for instance between two people one of them knew it was going to end a long time before but they were lying to themselves it's it's, it's rare that just out of the blue something happens and oh, now it's over it's always it's an accumulation and and oftentimes it's it's actually that person's they're just as culpable as the other person because they never said anything along the way mm. um I feel like we're getting a little bit off track, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but I do think that's, that's what it is. Like in my life, I've tried to, I, I set out several years ago to only have honest relationships and have that feeling of being at home everywhere I go. 
and it's possible. It's possible. And it puts other people at ease. Like you, the fact that you're at ease and that you're clearly just being yourself and honest, it puts other people at ease. And again, it's not oversharing. Like I'm still socially aware <laughs> and following norm, following norms to some degree. Hmm. But um, it means you can walk through the world and engage with people um, and engage with experiences and places with this like, oh, this is okay kind of feeling rather than that tension of like, how am I going to be perceived? What sort of person do I want to come across as? Like, oh, that sort of, uh, again, those, those barriers between you and the other person, those filters or the masks that you have to put up and it's just exhausting. You're just keeping track of those masks mm. is exhausting. What did yeah. I, t- what, how did I, how did I present myself to Fayon? And then I have to, oh, how do I present myself to my brother? And then how do I, pre- it's like, what do I just present yourself as yourself to everyone? And it's way easier to keep track of. Hmm. I like how I think you've expressed it to yourself with like clear intent that that was what you wanted to do. And then so that you could really act on that. And I think, you know, bring it back to maybe like the teacher student relationship as well. I think when you set down these clear in- intent, like, like you said, uh, like you say that like, you know, this is how I intend to teach you or how I intend to communicate. Maybe they're like almost like this, these rules of this container of of sorts as well. Then I guess people can kind of get it right. Because I guess sometimes you can, you can be a little bit of a dick sometimes if you say that, Oh, you know, I'm going to be a bit of a dick, you know, Mm -hmm. then people can Mm -hmm. understand. But then if you don't explain that, then it can kind of go over their heads and they're just like, Oh, like, Fan was a bit of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and again, that also depends on the person. Mm. Like if I say something to someone that's a bit too honest, too early in the relationship, you see how they respond mm. and then you might go over afterwards, say it's in the group setting. I'm never trying to um, embarrass someone in front of the group, mm. but say someone shows up late. That's something that we joke about in the, in the studio quite a bit. Like there's a norm that at least one and probably two, three or four people will tell you you're late. And just doing that is enough for them to be like, feel a little bit uncomfortable. Next time they think about showing up late, they, they might not. So we're kind of training them to, to be on time using social shaming. But I wouldn't say something in, in front of an entire group to embarrass someone. Yeah. Um, but you can see sometimes oh, that was a little bit too harsh. Okay. I'll go up and, and talk with that person afterwards and maybe give them that like, Hey, the reason I said that this way and just remember, remember how far you've come since you began or remember everyone starts making these mistakes and that's how it is. And um, if you just continue working from that place of, if we see something, if you see something, say something, right. <laughs> <laughs> if you just keep doing that, then people kind of get used to it. And they start, because we encourage people from their first class at, 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 at Praxis to already be correcting the other people in the group. Mm. So maybe you've been coming for 12 months and it's my first class, but we're both practicing the, the whatever it is that we're practicing. We're working on it together for the first time. Mm. And so I say, you've all heard the instructions. You've all seen the demonstration. So you're all ready. You're, you're good to go to become a little teacher of your own so we have that happening all the time someone who's brand new might be um giving handstand tips alignment tips to someone who's been coming for 12 months because they can see oh well he said the shoulder should be on top of the wrist the shoulder's not on top of the wrist okay Hmm. hey your shoulder's not on top of your wrist and if the ego and the more experienced student says who the fuck are you to tell me that right Hmm. 
but um but if they respond that way then then i'll go over and hey look they're right actually your your ego needs to take a little bit of a beating for sometimes mm. um to go like okay quieten down ego and just adopt the beginner's mindset again and mm. again and again i like this part especially about this pairing up of this group dynamics and um having people adopt the roles the teacher as well um i've experienced this before in a few facilities um and i think this is almost it, to my perception what i guess changes like the whole environment from being something which is kind of like pretty good to something that like you you know when you walk into somewhere and go okay people are really engaged this feels really special i i do think that it's this um it's this handing over of authority to students to become teachers them, themselves uh, i've noticed this and i think it also really helps the learning cycle right like as soon as mm. you adopt the teaching uh, or the teacher's hat you know you have to think in a different way and i think understanding our knowledge kind of sinks in at a deeper level as as well mm -hmm. so yeah was this something also that you've noticed somewhere and then you've adopted or you came up yourself like um yeah maybe riff a little bit more on how you've constructed that approach at praxis yeah all, all my main teachers um all the biggest influences of me have on me have taken that approach mm -hmm. of partnering people up and having people be honest with each other and, and working together. And if you're thinking about cultivating a community or a culture, then it's got to be about our growth, right? It can't just be about my growth. Uh, and again, it can't just be about the teacher. It's got to be about the practice. It's got to be about the group. Um, the teacher is there. The leader is just there to serve the, to serve the group, to serve the interests of the group, right? It's not about that person. Mm. Um, so if you can seed some of that, because we, we do get this, right? Like humans, we're like all the other creatures. We build hierarchies. We build pecking orders. And if you're the teacher, you're in a position of power. But you don't need to abuse that. And you don't even need to assert it. Like people came and they wanted to learn from you. They've already put you in power, just like we put our leaders in power. We vote them in, right? We, we say you're the one who's in power. We've given you our power. Um, and that can go astray, right? Because it gets, it gets taken advantage of. And then people say, now you don't have our, we take it back. <laughs> yeah, you don't have our power anymore. We'll, we'll take that from you. The power's in the people, right? Um, so yeah, to go to more directly to your point, um, we try to make a very clear point of that, partly because say I've got 20 people in handstand class and they're all paired up, then that's going to be 20 people doing good quality work. But if I'm the only one who's doing quality control, then it's really difficult. So practically it's very difficult. Um, but having someone there constantly folk reorienting you towards quality and that's what their partner's always doing almost always doing that then they're not just counting reps and saying great job right they're there to be honest like i said before and they're they're reminding you hey you're not doing this quite as well as you could you're not doing this quite as well as you could but you is your awareness elsewhere because you like you're capable of more than this right and they they're being that that figure for you like reminding you of your potential like it sounds so <laughs> um abstract or 
grandiose perhaps, but that's really what they're doing. They're reminding you, you could do better. You could do better. You could do better. Mm-hmm. And they're constantly doing that. Um, and I think you're right. It does develop it. It does cultivate a different kind of community. And you just have to, because it's so abnormal that people are so used to slipping into that hierarchical structure. And of course that hierarchy is still there to some degree. Um, we do that no matter what you step into a room full of strangers, you'll figure out a hierarchy pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll, it'll happen. You'll figure each other out. And then, and then you're, it's a relief when it happens, right? Like two dogs that come together and they've got to figure out which one of us is in charge. And actually they're both happier when one, when they figure it out, even the one that's not in charge. Like, oh, thank God. Now we know, now we know where we stand, right? Mm. Same goes for the chickens. Um, so that, 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 that does happen, but there's a benefit to everyone being a teacher and everyone working together. And I'm hoping like this still doesn't happen, but I'd like to be getting feedback. Like come in and give me feedback. Tell me, Hey, you didn't quite do that the way you said you were doing it. Um, be a mirror for me as well. Not just, not just for each other. Um, and we asked for, we went to the students and asked for feedback recently for that reason. And there was such great feedback. Like, we're going to make what we're doing better as a consequence of that. But we, you, you always just get the good feedback, right? Cause people, Oh, that was amazing. That was a fantastic class. Thanks so much. And, and that's really wonderful. But there's this reluctance to be, Again, that honesty thing, tell the truth now mm. in little doses so that you don't have to tell the truth in a really big way later on. Mm-hmm. Like when they walk in and they just say, I'm quitting. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And you know what? Um, every time we've gone and asked for feedback from the group, which has happened several times and we always implement it, it's as a consequence of someone who did act- exactly what you just said. They, they were someone who you asked about it, who's a good practice, who would be a good student for you. They were someone who was the perfect student for us and was with us for a long time and then said, I, I, I'm not getting what I want to from it anymore and left. That's happened a couple of times. And every time it's happened, I've taken their feedback very seriously. Um, and I just wish that they had told me 12 months before we would have made the changes. Like if yeah. it was good, if it was good feedback. So you're right. That does happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess. And it's not like, their fault. It's my fault for not reaching out more often. Hey, what's wrong? What's going on? Like, what could we do better? Are we, are we still doing as well as we could? Um, mm. And of course, when you're the teacher or you're running the facility, people are less willing and able to just give you that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to outwardly reach out and, and ask the question and put it on the table. Um, right. Yeah. With, um, yeah, I guess, yeah. Going all the way back to is the we're talking about this this variety thing, and then leading on to the I guess the next question that I was asking as well, which was about this uh, this programming aspect from a movement perspective. Mm-hmm. I guess like you know leading on from the elasticity project as well. Like, how do you determine what's the next project? Like, mm-hmm. do you, is there a group vote, or you just go, hey, this is this is going to be it? Yeah. What what happens? Yeah, it's actually quite an intuitive often quite an intuitive decision, an intuitive process where oftentimes what happens with me is I'll, we'll do something. So we're moving on to animal movement as an X project, animal locomotion, swinging, crawling, moving in this like animal body. And I'd love to talk a bit about that as well as a kind of concept, Mm. um, a, a topic of discussion, but we had done a little bit as prep for a class for a strength class. And I was like, oh, the group really liked that material. And what I was describing to you before, that feeling of meaningful engagement for me as the teacher and for the group as well. 
um, because it is so important for you as the teacher to be engaged in what you're, what you're teaching. People can tell if this is, if I had re- rehearsed what I was going to say to you, then you'd be able to tell. Uh, and if I wasn't excited about it, you'd be able to tell. So that really does matter. Um, but of course you want to orient towards the group as well and pay attention to what, what they're responding to. So oftentimes it's that there's just a little like part of me in one class says, maybe we should, let's just finish the class with this today. Or let's just, we breath work is another project we've been working on. Um, and, and in my, in my movement practice classes, and that's just, that was just a consequence of one day I was like, actually let's scrap the rest of this class that, that I had planned in my head. This is what I'm saying. And let's finish with some breath work instead. And we did it in the group. I was like, Oh, people really love that. People really engage with that. Okay. We'll make that a project. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with the, with the animal movement. So it's getting that little, like putting a little feel around how did, how did the group respond? How do we, yeah. Okay. Yep. This will be a good one. Mm. Um, that's part of it. Also the seasons affect it partly while we've been doing elasticities. It's cold in Canberra right now. So we come in and we get hot. We generate heat. The, there's condensation on the windows and people think something else is going on when they look in because <laughs> it's all steamy. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so it changes based on that, that too, right? Okay. In summer, we're going to have different projects. Maybe in summer, we're not going to do like really introspective, relaxing or those more subtle uh, sorts of practices where we're developing refined control and awareness of the central axis in this really subtle way. It's like summer. Okay. Time to go. Let's go and do some outdoor practice. Let's spend some time in the park. Mm. Um, let's do some acrobatics. Let's do some rolling. Let's do some, um, some kind of more martial combative type of practice, that high energy stuff. So it's just trying to get in touch if you can. And, and this is not easy um, for me, for me definitely with that intuitive sense, like the gut feeling for like, oh yeah, this will be a good, okay, it's time to end this project. It's time to start this one. It's time to select this one. Um, th- th- that's one way of orienting. Another is noticing the weaknesses. If you're choosing a project for yourself or for the group, noticing where the weaknesses are. Like, do people struggle to, do people in the group struggle to relax? And this can be connected to the to not just their bodies, right? But maybe they're a hyper conscientious type where they struggle to relax in general. They can't go with the flow. That but this is my kind of my weakness, right? I, I'm I'm kind of like that. I'm not good at. Oh, the plan changed. No, but I had to do my work. I have this work planned. Um, I, I'm that kind. No, but what about the structure? <laughs> so I need to learn to relax and go with the flow and be spontaneous. And um and and on the other extreme, maybe you're the the hyper agreeable type who, who can't assert your own preferences and um, is always kind of loosey goosey in the body and loves the relaxation stuff, but maybe you need to learn to generate tension. So also being aware of that, where are the weaknesses in the group? Um, Where are the fears? What are you afraid of going into? Um, That's a great backup or maybe it's your primary orientation. It depends, but that's something I've done. I'm afraid of, maybe you're afraid of committing to a practice. And so you say, I'm going to do this for 12 months. I'm going to do that and see what effect does that have? Not necessarily what effect does the practice have, but what, is effect, what effect does that commitment have on me? Because you become a person who was afraid of commitment and now you're not anymore because you committed to something. Way to go. <laughs> uh, but it could be anything. I'm like that with the acrobatics. I'm terrified of acrobatics. Like I'm so scared of acrobatics. So I have to do it. Hmm. I like that orientation. That's similar like for me as well. It's like the um, walking into that fear, you know, that's where the growth is. So you have to go and engage with it. Otherwise, you know, um, it kind of eats away at you as well. You're kind of like, 
uh, you know, I, I know I should be kind of doing this because I could keep on doing this other thing, which I'm kind of, you know, it's going well. Um, but when I face that, that's, that's where, you know, you walk away and you're like, Oh, okay. It's a totally different feeling. It's like, you know, I really, you really learn something about yourself when you step into this, um, this darkness. Yeah. Well, that's where all the potential is. All the potential is in those, um, in those unexplored places, in those foreign places. Uh, and they're the things you're afraid of because you're not familiar with them. They're, mm-hmm. they're unfamiliar. You don't have that home feeling about those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but more, more frightening in my mind than the things you haven't done yet that you could is the prospect of never, of, of letting your fear stop you, right? Yeah. For me, that's frightening. It's like, I've achieved my full potential. Now I'm done because everything else frightens me. Anything that I'm not already familiar with frightens me or will take energy from me. And so I'm going to avoid that. But if all your potential lies there, then that's it. You're done. There's nothing, nothing new. Um, so orienting and getting again, getting comfortable in that, in that, in that place of discomfort of being the beginning or of being in a, Oh my God, I can feel the fear here. Um, it doesn't matter what the practice is. That's, that's your practice. That's the practice itself. That's where the juice is, is engaging with that and, and taking the fear as an object and go, okay, I'm afraid of this. Uh, respect that. There's something there. Uh, but can I face this? And can I become a more enhanced, more complete version of myself by doing that? And, and the answer is yes, you do become that. They're the people we respect, right? They're the people we admire, are the people who take take those fears on and confront them and, and, and become more like super, super, superhero versions of humans by doing that. Yeah. They're the people we tell stories about and all our myths are based on those people who's like, Oh, you confronted some, something that you were afraid of. And, and, and maybe you actually failed by confronting it. That can happen too, but that person's a hero as well. Mm. Um, and I think we should pay attention to the, to the people we describe as heroes. Why are we describing that person as a hero? Why do we think of them that? Why do we think of that as heroic? Um, yeah, and this, I mean, talking a lot, but that's also what you're trying to do. That's what you're trying to give to the student. That's what you're trying to encourage them, right? Encourage. You're trying to give them courage. You're mm. trying to empower them. You're trying to give them power. and power is not something you just give and take this is what the this is what the radical lefties are are always on about right power it's like that feeling of power comes from knowing that you can confront your fears and you can go into the domains that you're unfamiliar with and become a better version of yourself become a more complete human by doing that that's what power is power is the ability to transform anything and that includes yourself Mm -hmm. courage is the same thing you need to encourage someone if you're going to empower them you need to have that courage to put yourself in that situation and that's where you feel that that's where you feel that that power right um with the with the transformation Mm. so you know when you present this um new material for to people uh you know we were talking a little bit about strength and mobility mobility and how they're uh it's quite easy for to set them up as goals or or markers for um for success and then from programming as well you know everyone knows you know you can modify 
reps, you can modify sets, tempo, these like basic sort of variables to go, okay, this is the work that we're going to do. But then when you approach something, maybe let's say elasticity or let's say like the, the animal movements, how do you go about programming and saying, you know, this is going to be the work that we're doing? Is it still in the same formula of going like repetitions or is it something else? Yeah. Um, that's a hard one. It's, excuse me, often I'll use timers, um, less sets and reps normally. I'll say do this for an amount of time. Um, yes, sometimes there's the sets and reps, but the reason I like to use a timer, you're going to do, you're not going to do a hundred spinal waves. You're going to do 10 minutes of spinal waves is well, one, we're used to working with the clock. So we need to allocate time. That's just the reality. And when you, whenever you get a chance to spend time without a clock, do it. Cause it's a, it's a treat. <laughs> it's like a luxury, which is ironic, right? It's a luxury to not know what the time is. Um, but the reality is most of us, where our lives are dictated by the clock and we have to fit things in at certain times. So um, it, it just saying, go and do this until you feel like you've done enough or go and do this until you feel like you shouldn't do anymore. You know, it's like people will just not do it, unfortunately, if you don't give some sort of prescription because it's too open. Like if you say, if you say those sorts of things, people are likely to just respond by going, well, this guy's, uh, just tell me what to do. <laughs> I just want to know what to do. So we use timers and, and the reason being that can, there's always this tendency with sets and reps to focus on getting it done, right? And this is how we feel about our work most of the time. That's why we call it work is work is something you have to get, get done. I'm getting it done. And if in the moment of working, you're focusing on getting it done, your awareness is actually in the moment after you finish the task, right? So if your session is one that's oriented towards, it's a session that you're getting done, then all session, you're focusing on the moment after you finish the session. <laughs> your awareness is not in the session. I like using timers because then you can focus on doing it rather than focus on getting it done. You just say, well, I've got 10 minutes and I'm just going to be doing it until the timer goes off. And you forget about that. Okay, I'm not counting anymore. I'm not, I'm not wondering when it's over. I'm just in it for 10 minutes. And the timer will go off when it goes off. And you're not checking the time every two minutes. It just, it just is. It just goes off. Um, and that way you're, you're oriented toward the practice you're engaged in right now. Right? Your awareness is on the present moment. And we know that about practice that it has to be that has to be done that way. If it's not engaged with deliberately and with full attention in the present moment, you just revert to your habits, your habitual ways of moving and thinking and seeing things and no neural pathways are, are, are potentiated, right? None of that potential is accessed that hasn't been accessed yet. It's just grooving the old grooves, mm. um, which sometimes the practice should do that as well. Uh, I don't need to be, if I go for a walk, focusing on, okay, today I changed the way I walk. I might just go for a walk and let my mind wander. That's okay too. Mm. Um, but yeah, in terms of programming, it's like give give a, what you're trying to do in my mind for often with the with the more qualitative type of material, the material where you're trying to develop a quality in the body, where it's less about it's less of a progressive overload type of a structure, mm. is just give a context for the practice, give that person a context for the practice, and make sure they have enough time <laughs> to spend in the practice just give them a, make it easy to do 
the reps with the orientation on the physical sensations, on the feeling of that practice right now. And then the timer goes off and it's over and you're on to your next thing. Um, yeah, I think that's actually kind of leads to, I'll let you, I'll let you <laughs> respond because every thought leads to another thought. So you respond. I, I like that. It's um, like, there's that point with, as you said, with the timer, then you are focusing more about this movement quality or the quality of the experience that you're having in engaging with, uh, with the task or, or whatever work or what you want to call it during that period. Whereas I know, <coughs> sorry, um, like with that counting or that repetition, you know, you're, you're counting every rep. Sometimes that count can take away from what you're experiencing as well, because you're just like, okay, I've done four. I need, I need to do that eight, four, five, where am I? Right. And then you can't mm-hmm, lose, you, mm-hmm. you can't lose yourself into the, the work um, itself. It's kind of, yeah, like the, a bit freeing, but then it's not, as you said, where it's like, you just, I mean, I imagine if you just ask them and just, you, you don't tell them when it's going to end as well, then it's kind of just like, Oh, like what, what do I do? Right. But then if you give still that finality point, that's still something that people can work towards and be like, okay, like five mm-hmm. minutes, that's reasonable. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And five minutes sometimes can feel really long, right? Like I've done this standing practice with eyes closed. I think it was like five or 10 minutes and it felt like, hours right <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. so that ex- experience can can change um but uh i yeah. I, I, I often introduce a practice if we're going to do it for a long time by saying we're going to do this for a long time long enough that you'll wonder when we're stopping and when you wonder that we're not stopping yet <laughs> so so they know because that thought always comes up and i always describe i describe it as like a long haul flight Right, you know when you're going a long haul flight, like it's 24 hours we're traveling. That last hour always takes, feels like it takes the longest because you're you're actually paying attention now. Oh, okay, 45 minutes. Oh, now half an hour. You're 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 orienting towards the future because you're almost there. Mm. Um, the arrival point, right, is close. But for the, for the at the beginning, you're not wondering, oh, when are we going to be there? I mean, maybe you are, but you're going to have a terrible trip. You're just in the trip. You go, okay, this is going to go on for a long time. So I, was, I like to say that. Like imagine it's a long haul. It's a long haul trip and you're just in it and it'll be over when it's over. So just be in it. Just be in it now. Don't, don't be counting down. Um, I should acknowledge that we count a lot. Work. We're still doing plenty of counting and it's a running joke as well people start counting because we use a metronome to make sure people are following tempo prescriptions and people start counting toothbrushes and things like that. You can end up counting everything, which is, which is not, uh, not ideal an unintended consequence of, of those prescriptions. But um, yeah, it's an interesting dichotomy to be aware of uh, and to, to take some decisions knowing that, no, this does affect, if I'm counting, it affects it. If I'm not counting, it affects it. If I don't have a set timer, do I just stop after a little while because I get bored? Or if I commit myself to, you've got to be like disciplining yourself as well. It's this weird thing, like creating that context for yourself to orient to the practice and be in it for long enough. Mm. Maybe we can talk about that, that future orientation, that present orientation. Mm. I'm sure you have something you wanted to contribute. Yeah. Um, you know, with this... Uh uh, you, you mentioned about this this principle of progressive overload or like maybe if you're working more towards a quality or a movement quality, you know, um, do you also present it in this thing of uh, like here, just go and do it? Or is there like a, 
a presentation of layers and preparatory work to leading up towards a, a final thing. Like how do you do that? I know, um, I've heard from like my friends' experiences when they first go to like say Fighting Monkey and Joseph just you know does this thing and just goes here just go go do it. Um, is that a similar approach that that you do, or do you you know try and get them to do one thing and then that layers to another thing and then to another thing, or do you have a completely different approach? It it depends. It changes. Um, Soishi, who I mentioned last time, who teaches with us, she definitely uses that approach. <laughs> um, to the anguish to the anguish of some of the students <laughs> um normally in terms of skill work or quality work the progression is is often in terms of complexity so we begin with a simple movement where we're focused we make it so simple we're just swinging the arms with a little knee bend or something like that we make it so simple that you can really focus on the quality to go to go with this elasticity example again or maybe we start with the animal movement and we start just with the spinal wave because that's there. And that maybe we start with a side-to-side side spinal wave. And this is going to become a lizard crawl, perhaps. But we start with the bones of the, literally the bones, right? The spine, the bones of the movement so that the focus can be on the quality and then build up from there. Because if you make it too complex from the beginning, the focus is only going to be on the technique mm -hmm. and getting the technique right without ever feeling what it's supposed to feel like. Mm. Uh, and we all know that, that there's a difference between you when you go to, to watch a, um, a dance, for instance, there are always one or two dancers who you end up watching the most. Maybe there are 12 people in the show and they're the people who are not just getting it right. Technically they're fully there. They're fully expressing. They've got the quality. They're, f they're, they're fully feeling every single movement and expressing with every single part of their body to the extreme. They're not just getting the technique right, right? It's like that that film Black Swan, such a terrifying film. <laughs> um, <laughs> so she's, but that's her problem, right? She's got everything technically right, but she's not dancing. She's not mm. dancing, um, and that can happen in our practices too. So we try to simplify things so that we can focus on the quality, on the the somatic experience, the the feeling of what the of the practice feels like, and then progress up in terms of complexity. That can happen, mm. Mm. Um, but another. It, if the project's different, maybe we begin just by going immediately throwing you in the deep end and giving you a problem that you have to solve, which we're all familiar with the, you know, the games with the sticks and so on. Okay. I'm coming through your space with this stick. Stay as close to the stick as possible without letting me touch you. And then that, okay, it's completely new. It's someone's first class. Then they develop as a certain, they start moving in novel ways and develop different qualities in the body just as a consequence of a very, simple task that produces a lot of complexity immediately. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I hope that answers the question to some degree. Yeah, it does. It does. I, I like that. Um, again, you know, context always, uh, always determines everything, but I think um, you explained a little bit there on how to determine like to what context is, is it right as, as well. And I think it depends yeah, on this um, material and what you want to bring the awareness to, to, to the student. Like even that example of how you describe the lizard crawl, like, because uh, I've, I've seen like a lot of the, these tutorials or this explained, right. And it's very based on the technique. You do this contralateral pattern um, or whatever, but then, you know, starting with, if you want to start with the spine movement and focus on that quality of how it snakes, um, like, a, like the actual lizard and then bringing that 
afterwards then to going, okay, now we're bringing that to the ground. I guess that, that changes the whole teaching or learning mm-hmm. experience to going, ah, oh, like this is a lizard crawl. Yeah. Which could also right. just be like a, a very complex push up to some. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're, you're, you're prioritizing the essence of the movement, the soul of the movement over the technique. Mm. knowing when to do which of those things is a difficult, that's a, that's a real challenge as a teacher and as a practitioner. And I, at least in my teaching, try to do both of those things and say, okay, now maybe someone's been, we always use the handstand example because it's a simple one, but maybe someone's been working so much on their alignment and on the technique and on the drills. And then we say, today you just try to balance. Don't think about whether you're doing it correctly or doing it incorrectly. Just try to balance because what's a handstand? It's balance. That's, that's the, that's the essence of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and same thing to use the dancing example. You could do all the all the movements perfectly, but unless you feel like you're dancing, you're not dancing. Mm-hmm. And you might be doing nothing. Like you might just be shifting your weight side to side with the music, and you're dancing. Doesn't matter what the technique is. The essence of the of the movement of the activity you're engaging in now is dance. Um, so so actually verb verbalizing that saying to the group now we're just going to focus on the feeling on the quality okay now let's bring some technique back in bring some order back into that um some structure back into that feeling okay now orient towards the feeling now the technique now the feeling that 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 like shifting of attention between those two things i think is um i think that that's optimal if you if you can do Mm -hmm. both of those things uh otherwise is that without an orientation and awareness of the technique of the details the subtleties of the skill or the pattern or the quality or whatever it is you're working on. It's always a bit messier than it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're just obsessing over those details, then you're never expressing. So you can put a lower ceiling on your ability to express by not focusing on, on the details to a sufficient degree. Mm. Um, but you can have an incredibly high ceiling that never gets used, that you never reach um, because you never actually express some point you have to do the thing um and and be fully in that thing for its own sake Mm, mm. Mm. um i want to move on to the um the third and final question we were um discussing over the email because um Mm. i think that's going to lead to to more questions and you raised a a few other points that you know um what's it a touch on as well um and yeah what i detailed um in writing was that i guess when we think about like our practices as, as practitioners, you know, I think we've gone beyond just going, okay, like we go to the gym, we train how, however much time. And then afterwards, then workout is done, right. Then mm-hmm. sitting down back to the couch or whatever, like it's more of this uh, open feeling of going, you know, I feel like I need to move now. Yeah. Maybe it is just a spinal movement and then I can get back to what I'm doing. Or maybe it is like, you know, I feel robust enough that I can do a little bit of like crawling around before coming back up again. And then it's a, it's a, it's much more free flowing and integrated, I think into our lives. But you know, this is a big flip in perspective to maybe somebody who is like quite inactive or new to the practice. Um, and I guess for people that are coming to practice and to your, to your classes and, you know, it's X amount of time, that sort of thing. Um, I guess, do you impress on them this uh, feeling towards moving towards a more open practice? And then if so, like, how do you, how do you help them engage with, I guess, not just 
in the class, but outside of the class. Mm. Maybe I can answer the, um, there's, there's a practical answer and kind of a more conceptual answer. Maybe I can try to manage both. We'll see how we go. I think what hap- what's happening conceptually when someone just does their training session and then goes back to their normal life is they're still viewing, we're still viewing our bodies as objects when we do that. So we know subject, there's a subject and an object, right? I am doing my physical practice. I am doing my training session. I'm training my body, right? I am the subject. My body's the object. And that's, that's the orientation you take in a training session or in a workout, right? Or when you get, like I said, last time you're on a, you're on the treadmill, but you're actually, or your awareness is elsewhere. You're just doing this because the object that is your body benefits from it. If you can adopt a subjective, a subjective perspective, you can actually sit in the seat of the subject that is your body more frequently. That's, that's the goal. That's the shift in perspective that we're looking for is where the body stops just being this thing that you're, that belongs to you. I own my body and I move my body to being something that you actually are. You're not just in your body, you are your body. Um, that's what we're hoping will, will happen. Um, because then you don't need to do the, you don't need to make the interventions anymore. Like you said, you just feel like now we've been sitting here for a while and I'm feeling a little bit like, okay, after this, I'll probably move my spine a little bit because it's just not, I could just feel that, 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 that sensations there and that desires there in the body. And it always is, this is the thing is, um, those cravings, if you will, or desires that in our bodies. But the thing is we train them out of our children at school. We say, sit down, sit still, look to the front. Hey, don't look behind you. Don't turn your head. Look to the front, sit still. And children fidget, right? And we do this as adults too. We start fidgeting. And that's the body saying like, hey, buddy, let's have it move for a while. Let's get moving. You see people towards, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon at work where they're like, they're fidgeting, they're playing with the pan or they're doing something. The body's like, come on, come on. It's like the dog that's not been let out to play all day. And it's just like antsy. Okay, I want to, I want to go play. Um, so we actually have to, it's a process of like undoing some of that suppression of those signals. That's what we're aiming for mm. is to undo that. It's like an acculturation process where we teach ourselves not to listen to our bodies anymore. And if we can manage that, then you can just listen. And it's really wonderful because if you're listening, then, then you hear, you hear the signals. Um, and that's what movement practice is about. It's, it's about unlearning that skill of ignoring the body. So you reestablish a connection. You start listening again. Um, so that's, that's the conceptual shift we're looking for. The body's not just an object. It is. And so uh, this is what's weird about humans is we're an object for ourselves and we're a subject that's in the object. Like the two things... There's a separation, right? We've got a subjective I, me, and then the object of like, Tom, <laughs> the subject I, the object me. Um, and I can take my life, my, my physical experience, my experience of anything as an object of attention. Mm. Um, whereas the, the other animals from what we can tell, and perhaps this is not as true uh, as, as the, um, it looks like, animals are more aware than we than we thought right um but many animals and at least children but before they reach a certain age they're just one there's no duality it's just subject and object together they're just that one 
unit. Mm. They're fully in themselves. Um, they don't have that detached perspective of, of the observer. Um, so in, in the classes, I'll kind of just hinted it often, like making little suggestions. Okay, we, we do the session. If you want to work on this outside of class, here's what you could do. Here's what you might, tr you might want to be aware of. And you're just making a little suggestion, like dropping a hint, nudging, like I mentioned earlier. Um, it's also a cultural thing that what do you do when there's spare time? Do you move or do you get on your phone and what happens? And like if you come into our studio and you're there for class 15 minutes early, everyone's moving. Sometimes people are catching up, but often if they're, you know, because we're friends, mm. <laughs> they're socializing, but they're doing so while mobilizing a little bit. They're loosening the joints or maybe they're... Um, resting in a squat, getting the knees moving, touching the knees to the floor and just getting things juiced up and ready to go, warming up a little bit. It's very rare for people just to be sitting there waiting for class to begin. It's like, oh, I've got 15 minutes. That means I can do an extra 15 minutes of practice. Um, I've been at work all day, so my body wants that. So that's part of it. The, the, like we discussed last time, again, the environment fosters a more integrated and more continual movement practice. Um, and also the other, another trick that I found useful and that's worked for me to some degree is to make little suggestions here and there. Like, okay, maybe next time you're at work and you're stressed out, you're, you're, you're struggling to complete a project. And this is the thing is you don't actually, partly what we're trying to do is cultivate awareness. So you're stressed, but you don't know you're stressed. That's the problem. And, and the, what you're trying to encourage people to do is feel, Oh, I'm stressed. Oh my God. I'm, I'm, I'm holding my breath. So you might just attach a little practice to that, to that moment where they might notice, bring some awareness to the body again. So next time you're feeling tense about a project you're working on, or maybe it's you just finished a piece of work, do some neck circles or do some circles of the chest that we practice in class. Neck circles are easy because people can actually do them at work without getting fired. Um, <laughs> as you work your way down the spine, it becomes more and uh, less and less socially acceptable, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, which is why so many of our hips are so locked up, but that might be a, that might be something if, if you just do like 15 each way or 60 seconds each way, like I said, set a little timer, that's your break. That's your coffee break. Or next time you wash your hands and everyone's washing their hands right now, <laughs> of course, all the time, notice how you're holding your shoulders. Cause often people wash their hands like this, like the people who are listening, I'm shrugging my shoulders up and then you just notice, okay, attach that awareness to an activity you already do washing your hands and then if you notice that you are holding them up take a breath out and let them relax down let them fall down um, or maybe when you get out of bed every morning you decide i'm going to do some spinal waves before i do anything else five minutes we learned the spinal wave together in class anyone listening has done a spinal wave just look up spinal waves you'll find you'll find videos explanatory videos um, and you just start doing that or another example would be right now i'm sitting on the floor um, and so I've been in five or six different positions during this conversation. My hips have been changing positions because I've got, I'm in one position. And then after a while, 20, 30 minutes, I get uncomfortable. I'm cross-legged. Okay. Now I'm kneeling. Okay. Now I'm in like a half kneel or a four sit or, um, take some furniture out of your house and create an environment that makes movement easier, right? Where you're not just sitting on the couch in the same position or lying down on the couch in the same position. Um, Maybe you want to spend more time in your local area by walking or running places or riding a bike and let, relying less on a car um, or public transport. And so the, the goal with all of these little suggestions, and of course I wouldn't rattle off <laughs> that many in one, in one go, but I do make a point of if we work on something that I know people will be able to integrate 
more easily into the rest of their lives, mm. I make a point of mentioning that. Hey, if you want to do more of this, it's like a, you get moments, you have moments throughout the day where you can insert some reps. <laughs> if you want to do more of this, maybe attach it to this thing that you're already doing. And what we're aiming for is in the beginning when the training is just happening in the, when the practice is just happening in the dedicated training sessions, you've got that 90 minutes, let's say 90 minutes a day where your attention's, your awareness is on the body. And like I said before, perhaps it's not actually, perhaps it's on what's for dinner after class. Um, but we're trying to do everything we can to have our awareness being fully in the body during the practices because mm. that's another topic altogether. Like you might not actually be in the body even when you're training. But, and like I said before, with that objectifying, the mm. objectification of the body. So it starts with these intermittent moments of awareness of the body. I'm feeling now my body during the training. And then we try to insert extra moments throughout the day where you pay attention to the body, bring awareness back to the body, back to the body, back to the body, feel the sensations. And this is something you mentioned. You listen to my talk with Kit Lachlan. Um, look him up if you want to become more enlightened uh, <laughs> and listen to some of what he's, he's got to say and some of the practices he's got to share. I really like Kit. Um, he said, you can't, the great, one of the great things about focusing on body work is you can't feel a physical sensation in the future or in the past. You can only feel a physical sensation right now. Mm. So you are, you pay attention to that and it makes you present. It puts you in the present moment. Um, and so what, what ultimately what happens over time is there's this constant oscillation between being the engaged participant in your life and being a detached observer and an engaged position participant, a detached observer. So you're becoming for a moment like consciousness itself and then in the next moment, Tom, <laughs> and then back to consciousness itself, but they're back to Tom and the two oscillate. And hopefully it goes from being, uh, I'm aware of my body during my 90 minute training session a day to I'm aware. Oh, no, I'm not aware. Oh, now I'm aware. Oh, no, I'm not like I've been aware of my body during this conversation. Mostly I'm paying attention to the conversation, but then I'm feeling I'm oscillating right now. Okay. My awareness is I need to change positions. Now I'm a little bit uncomfortable. Okay. I need to change position. There's this like, Oh yeah, I'll do some final ways after just this oscillation mm -hmm. between awareness on the ideas, awareness on the thoughts that are arising on the conversation we're having on, on you and how you're responding. That awareness is oscillating with awareness of, of mm -hmm. what's happening in the body. How's the breath feeling? Ooh, I've just talked a lot. Okay. And you actually will notice me saying, you will have noticed sometimes I'll go on a tangent. I'll say a lot of things. And then, you can see me acknowledging like, oh, I just said a lot of things and maybe I wasn't paying attention to you to the degree I should have. Uh, like you catch yourself. Um, unfortunately, in our culture, because being aware of the body is so rare, it might be that you've gone 20 years without catching yourself, right? And then you, and then you need a hip replacement or you have a catastrophic injury or you find, I'm in chronic pain. Oh my God. How did that happen? Well, you neglected your body for 20 years. That's how it happens. And you didn't pay attention. But then it's like we, we spoke about earlier with the honesty. There's this moment of truth, like a reckoning day where the body says, hey, now you have to pay attention. You, you ignored me. Now you have to pay attention. You have to. Or your experience is going to be miserable. So if we can avoid that by just trying to cultivate moment to moment awareness and and. and having that clear awareness in the body, feeling the sensations in the body more and more frequently. Um, that's a very long answer to question found, but what I would say if you, my advice I suppose would be to just drop those little hints 
Like, cause maybe you drop five hints and one and five of them gets picked up uh, or you've got five people with you and only one of them really cares about doing practice. They just want to go back to work. Everyone else wants to go back to work and just do their other things. But one of them is a bit more open to, oh yeah, I could pay more attention and they start doing it and they get a desk on the floor at home instead of, um, instead of it sitting in their chair, they end up on the floor a little more and, uh, and so on and so forth. Is there a, a little bit of a, um, uh, a language reframe that you have to drop as well from this, uh, I guess, disengagement of like uh, it's practice or practice all the time, you know, because uh, with what you're saying there about, and I really like this uh, frame of being like subject object. I, I haven't heard it been put in that way before. I think that's a, that's really powerful way to, to understand perspective and how people approach like a, I guess training but for for people maybe with their at their desk as well like maybe they don't want to practice or that that has a connotation of like exerting as well like I, I think because sometimes for a lot of people when you do training you're like you know then you got to change all your clothes you know you got to get into the identity of going like I'm going to the gym or, or whatever but it's like no you can actually just do a neck circle or you can do an arm circle and that that Yes, it is some effort, but you know, maybe don't you don't even have to break a sweat. So, uh, I, I noticed like on your practice um, YouTube channel, like you you've used this term like movement snack, and I've I've kind of stolen that a little bit as well because I really like the way that that um, I that, stole it. I stole it from someone else. I think it's Katie Bowman. <laughs> it was the first one to use uh, it. I okay. think. Yep. She probably stole it. We steal everything from each other. Right? But <laughs> go on. Yeah, I I, I guess. Um, you know, with terminology like that, or even like this thing of, I remember Ido in the earlier days had like this squat challenge, right? It was just like squat as much as possible, uh, like during the day. So do you sometimes things, things like that to then have, give more concrete practical examples of how, like you said, the next circle and like you go, Hey, this could be a snack during the day or something like that. And it's not like practice, if you know what I mean. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, and because people are, so many of us are having mostly a indifferent, if not negative, experience of our bodies. Um, you can often just attach. Say we do some teacup movements with the with the arm, figure eight movement with the arm. Then I'll connect that to next time you're feeling that like tension in your shoulders, where you feel like you need a massage. Try doing some of these. Just try doing some of these. Mm -hmm. Next time you notice this, try this. Next time you notice this, try this. And because it's not, it's not yet culturally normal. Well, you know, for for us right now, to be that way, there are some barriers. Like for a moment, you're swimming upstream, but at least you're in the stream, right? You jump in and you go, okay. <laughs> no one else is doing neck circles at their desks, but I'm going to be that guy for a little while. Um, and then you notice that it's a benefit. Right, you you do the sh you do the neck circle, you do the figure eight with the arm, and you feel better. And that's like a little um, Pavlovian conditioning for yourself. Oh, I felt I felt better because you're right. People do think of it as like training sucks, um, but it's something I have to do. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like an, another analogy would be would be to food, right? If sweet, fatty, mostly unhealthy food gets eaten for a reason. And people think, well, if I'm going to eat health, healthy food, it's going to suck. I'm going to have a bad experience of eating. Um, just like if I have to train, it's going to suck, but I'll feel better about myself afterwards. But actually, if you generally eat quite, quite well, 
it feels good. <laughs> it feels good to eat in that way. You kind of recondition your cravings mm. and then you start craving something different um, rather than craving that. Say you, say you get to two, three, four o'clock in the afternoon and you're feeling tired. You don't crave another cup of coffee or uh, a pastry like we spoke about last time. You crave, you crave a lying relaxation practice, which look up, like I said before, Kit Lachlan, he's got some great scripts on his website. Mm. Um, a lying relaxation practice. So you crave a nap. Actually, you want a nap, but you, didn't, you don't know because we're confused about our cravings and we become used to how those different needs are satisfied. We spoke about that a little bit last time as well. Um, so it's like this reconditioning process, which requires effort in the beginning. Like I said, you're, str- you're swimming upstream, but then after a while, you get more aligned with the stream. You're trying to swim upstream for so long that now actually you're going with the stream downstream. Um, and that's much better than just watching from the shore. Um, we also know there's people who are always swimming upstream. Those warriors that we spoke about last time where it's just exhausting. So, um, it's just this reconnection thing, trying to become a little bit more fully embodied. Um, that's, that's the goal. And these simple, these simple practices, these simple tasks, I don't know how else to, to encourage people to do them to then to say, you'll feel like a more fully human human and you'll feel more comfortable and less in pain and more free if you do these things if you make a habit of bringing your awareness to the body and inserting little let's say movement stacks into your day um just like we say you know well i can't be i made a post about this recently because we're looking for an apartment we've got two dogs with us and so people say oh that that apartment's no good for two dogs there's no yard there's no backyard it's like well shouldn't that mean it's no good for me because i'm an animal too and if if an apartment's if it's if it's cruel to keep keep dogs in an apartment with no backyard shouldn't it be cruel to keep myself to keep humans in an apartment with no backyard and of course we we go over to the park and it's fine but we don't think about ourselves that way we don't think of ourselves as animals but we are still animals Mm. um we're not just animals. We're not just like the other animals. We have this extra human layer. Um, it's something I'd like to talk talk about actually. Before I do that, because I again I know I've just spoken quite a bit. Did you want to follow up on anything I've said there, or add any comments? Um, no, I think that was yeah. It's, it's a lot for me to think about, and I think it was answered like quite 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 well actually in terms of like i guess the the original question i guess one uh, there's there's part, part parts to that as well like you know like daily movement snacks that's like adding more tools to the toolkit which isn't just like doing a heavy barbell squat right because if that's all that person knows then of course they're not going to be able to do that like all throughout the day and have a more open practice but you show them arm swings that's like that's a way more accessible thing that they can then draw on and then moving from that I guess, well, one, they then have that awareness of this extra tool and then it's just that extra prodding and encouragement and the showing of the way, I guess, to then go. And maybe it might be a challenge or a, a task or something like that or it, or maybe it is just the, hey, like just try this next time when you feel this um, and then maybe that then bridges that gap to then going, okay, well, oh, yeah, I'm not like at the gym or at, at Braxis, but now I'm doing this and it feels good. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and if you need convincing, just remember that no one knows really what they're doing or what 
they should be doing. We've got this idea that I'm sitting in the office and everyone else is like, oh, I guess we got our norms. And so we all know we got to follow those norms. It's like sometimes maybe actually you just want to be the weirdo in the office who does those mm. things. And it might be that you remain the sole weirdo in the office or maybe after a while someone else goes, okay, I notice you're doing those neck circles every day. I noticed you doing a little seated, you're closing your eyes at lunchtime. What are you doing for 10 minutes? Someone else gets interested and then the culture of the office might change gradually or it might not, but we want to know, we want not to just be beholden to our culture to some degree. We want to be aware of, you know, our culture has not done the best job of acknowledging the animal layer, the, 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 the layer of the body, right? This, this, we have this uniquely human part of ourselves that sits on top of that layer it seems unique to us at least this ability to have this conversation and to reason and to think abstractly and to make use of logic but sitting below that is that animal layer and below that still is that that like metabolic layer this is something that aristotle wrote about you can look it up look up um de anima which is of the soul laid out different parts of the soul and the buddhists talk about these sorts of things as well that we had it's actually the tale of evolution. He was writing before, before we knew, knew that had that theory, the theory of evolution, the story of evolution. But I think it's an interesting way to think about the human being. If you'll tolerate a bit of a talk on that. <laughs> yeah. That, well, um, I've got a few, I've got a meeting at one thirty, but, um, like okay. if you okay. share some thoughts on that now, otherwise, yeah, I was thinking, you know, every time we have a conversation, there's like more tangents, more questions, more interesting topics of discussion, I think. So how about we, yeah, keep on going on that train of thought and then maybe we'll wrap up. Um, and then for all the okay. listeners out there as well, we'll maybe we'll put it on the table, whether there is like a, another follow-up to the follow-up. <laughs> okay sure i'll try to do try to do a quick job of it so aristotle wrote about and i find this interesting and it's been useful a useful framework framework for me how we have three layers to ourselves because this is the question right with any sort of practices what what is it to be fully human that's what we're all asking ourselves and we're hoping that our practices will make us more complete humans more better versions of ourselves and what are we well we're a human being and so how we define the human being affects how we're going to approach those practices and measure our improvement, measure our success, right? And unfortunately, often that's just become attached to, well, a good human is a good consumer or a good producer. And that's like we have this economic, this financial metric um, of what it is to be a good human being, which no one really actually believes. Um, we think it's got more to do intuitively with with being a good person, right? Being kind and generous and and and, and so on. But these three layers we have at, have at our core this nutritive layer, right? The metabolic part of ourselves. We process energy. I eat and then I make use of the energy. I process the food and, and that becomes energy and that allows me to reproduce myself. So I exist again tomorrow because I consume something and also grow and then also move through the world and so on. And we share this layer with, with all the other animals and also with the plants. The plants use different processes, but Aristotle was working through this kind of taxonomy. The, the, the earliest philosophers were also scientists trying to figure out how do we 
piece things together. Okay, well, all the plants and animals and humans share this ability to process energy, right? And so we should be paying attention to what we're eating, of course. And then on top of that layer, scaffolded on that layer is the animal layer, this ability to move through space, um, which is scaffolded on the plant layer because I can move through space. And of course, the animals, we have our senses, touch, sight, smell, taste, so on. I can move through space and I can see things. I can procure more food, right, for that central uh, plant layer, if you will, or that, that metabolic layer. Um, and with that comes desires. So I see a thing and then I either want it or I don't want it. And this is what the Buddhists talk about all the time. Of course, to see is to desire, right? In the moment of seeing the thing, I either want it or I don't. So you see what you want and what you don't want. And immediate, immediately preference is, is established, right, to pursue the pleasure or to avoid the pain the pain to move toward it or to move away from it on top of that layer is that is that human layer which we're all familiar with to make use of logic to reason to be rational we're really quite good at this in the west right we're mostly dis, in a disembodied culture um that's uh, very mind mind centered um although we could talk about critical thinking lacking in in, in the discourse to some to some degree um so the point, I guess the point why I wanted to raise that, that, those ideas is that the animal layer is predicated on that metabolic layer, this layer that moves through space, needs to serve the layer below it. It needs to, if, it, if my movement doesn't lead to me procuring food, then it wouldn't have evolved, right? And then the human layer has to serve the animal layer as well. My ability to reason and to view things from a more abstract perspective perspective has to has to feed the animal has to assist there and we've 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 become obsessed with that specifically human layer to the detriment of the other layers but the fact is you're still an animal we're still an animal we're still animals we're not just animals but we're still animals and we still have that kind of central central tube something Simon my teacher talks about a lot that we share with the plants too, right? Like water our arteries and, and veins, if not like the roots and, and branches of a tree, they've both got that fractal nature, nature to them. It's that distribution of energy, processing of energy. Um, we're, st we're still an animal. We, we've got the skin, we've got the hair and all these locomotive patterns in our bodies that want to be let out and expressed. Um, but we're not letting that happen. <laughs> and so, so much of our suffering comes from not paying attention, sufficient attention to those other layers that we share with all the other creatures. And there's a whole conversation to have there with, uh, uh, on the topic of, well, why, why have we gone and destroyed our planet? Like, why, don't, why aren't we connected with nature? Well, because we're not connected with our nature, right? We, 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 we love the human layer and that's what makes us special. And that's why we sit on our chairs, our thrones and look down and say, well, no, we're not gonna sit on the floor. That the floor's dirty. Or why are you why are you barefoot? Feet are dirty. The body's dirty. We have this disgust response to the animal layer, and this kind of um, rejection of it. I nah, know we push that part of ourselves away, um, but it emerges on its own, and it it, it, it signals ascent in the in the form of pain or um, a short, a quick temper. Right? There's, there's all these consequences of of not paying attention there. So, I guess the point I'm making is. If we can adopt a more complete view of what it is to be human that contains those other layers that we share with all the other animals and with all the other organisms on our planet, maybe things would change fundamentally for us, not just as individuals, but as a culture too. So that's what, that's what excites me is, is how can we 
Um, how can we shift that conception, not just in the mind, right? Because that would be the human way to shift it. Oh, we had the conversation. Okay, it's changed. No, it's not changed yet. You need to be paying attention and feeling those layers in you, feeling how they're affecting you and how they feed back and forth. And um, that's where the practices come in. So, so, so if we can view ourselves in that way, I think it would be a good thing for us. Um, pay attention to, I'm, a, I'm fidgeting. I must need to move. That's my anim, the animal part of me going, hey, come on, come on now. And all of this without dismissing the human layer because it's amazing. We're not, we're not trying to regress to a pre-human existence no that's a mistake too um it's an incorporation and integration of all those layers into a more complete more enhanced more full existence i think that's what we should we should be striving for i think that has really put in a quite powerful way i guess the, um i can feel like you have this understanding this belief of the work that you're you're doing with yourself and then with the people around you and then how that then connects through beyond themselves as well especially how you raised about that thing about how we're not treating the the earth in such a way because we're not treating ourselves in our own nature in such a way and i think i think that was really beautifully put um listen thomas um yeah i've got i've got to go but um I guess there's there's so much there for me to dig into as well. I'm really looking forward to re-listening back to the recording and taking some notes and inevitably there'll probably be some, some more questions as well. Um, you know, I've, I would probably just say like, yeah, if you had any questions as well uh, that you'd want to speak more on or even ask me as well, you know, let's, let's continue this. Um, and I guess for anyone listening as well, this is where I just put the call out, you know, to either one of us, you know, you can reach us via our Instagrams or I'll, I'll pop the links down in the show notes um, just to shoot them through as well. And yeah, I think I'm feeling it as well. It's just a, an ongoing moving conversation that um, I think can keep on developing so yeah thanks for your time once once again i think it was really beautiful um you know we we covered off you know those questions that we wanted to plus some more um and i think there's just more doors now to open yeah thank you for yours and all the best with with your practice and also with cultivating a little bit of a group there in melbourne i know it's a challenging time but um we'll get through it challenges are well, it doesn't kill you, right? So just don't <laughs> die and then we'll, then things will be better, better afterwards. <laughs> That's the idea. Um, so yeah, again, I really appreciate your time and this is, this has been fun. Hopefully it's been useful for, for people listening. Um, definitely do feel free to, to hit us up with any follow-up questions or about anything, right? Like we all want, we all want connection, right? That's why you and I are having this conversation. And so if something either of us has said gives you an impulse to connect, then, then just do it. Just reach out and, and Maybe it'll, maybe it'll lead somewhere. Who knows? That's it. That's it for today. Thanks so much to Thomas for making the space and sitting down with me once again, sharing his insight. He's got a lot of interesting things to say. I got a lot out of re-listening to this conversation and I hope you guys got a lot out of it too. Maybe when things open up, I'll be able to go visit him in person and record a part three. So for all those sticking around, listening, I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, if you could help me with this podcast by, you know, rating it, giving me some feedback, asking me a question, that would be awesome. So you can find me on Instagram at P-H-A-O-N-P. 
just shoot me a message. I'll be happy to connect. Um, otherwise, yeah, just on your platforms, if you uh, follow it and uh, give it a rating, that will also help me spread it to other people as well. So thanks so much for your support.